Well, last Sunday, we uh, began a, a brand new series through the book of Philippians called Rejoice in the Lord. And if you recall, for those who are here, that we began looking back to the very humble beginning of how this church started there in the book of Acts, chapter number 16, uh, with the conversions of Lydia and the jailer and how the demon-possessed girl was set free. We saw that the church was built upon the preaching of the gospel, the persecution of the godly, and the amazing power of God. Today, we're going to finally dive into this book of Philippians. So if you would, in your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter number 1. And I'm excited to start jumping into these actual verses and actual the actual book this morning. And uh, once you find that, if you would join me in standing, we'll... Um, Read uh, the first two verses this morning is what will be. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, We're grateful to be in your house. Thank you for your word now, and thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And I pray, Lord, you'd guide us into all truth as we do so. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever had someone tell you to do something that they haven't experienced themselves? Maybe maybe you were a parent, a brand new parent, and and someone who's never had children before in their entire life all of a sudden thinks they're God's gift to parents and gives you unsolicited advice. How inspiring is that? Not very at all. You see, it's much better to have someone who's been there, done that, who's gotten the t-shirt, and then who shares the wisdom that they've gotten through the experiences that they've had. Now, as Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church, he's trying to tell his readers how to rejoice in the Lord even during difficult circumstances. Well, this is a man who certainly knew what he was talking about. You see, he had experienced hardship like few men ever had. Consider for a moment this this morning his testimony to the church at, at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you don't need to turn there, but here's what he shares with the church regarding his experience and hardship. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You see, Paul knew what it was like to experience difficulties and hardships. And in spite of it all, he still chose to rejoice in the Lord. He was the resident expert, you could say, in dealing with trials, suffering, and difficulties. 
He was definitely the authority on the subject. And the book of Philippians here, book of Philippians here opens with the information about who the human author was and the fact that he knows what it's like to suffer and still choose to rejoice. So this morning I'd like to quickly unpack these first two verses and learn really who this book was written from, who this book was written to, and what the greeting at this beginning really, really means. So this morning, if you'd like to take notes, notice first of all, here are the servants of God. In verse number one, it starts with Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. And this is basically telling us who was the human author of this book and who this book was, uh, was from. And it was from these two individuals. Well, first of all, notice what their names were. Their names were Paul and Timotheus. Let's focus here on Paul. Uh, Paul was a very special individual in the New Testament. But, you know, he wasn't always Paul. You see, he, start, he had his start with the name the Saul of Tarsus. The word uh, or the name Saul means to be desired. And the name Paul in Latin means small or little. So at one point, Saul was this one who he wanted to, everybody wanted to be like Saul. But then God changed his name to small or little. You know, before God changed his name, though, Saul was a persecutor of Christians who made it his life's mission to destroy the name of Christ and to eradicate it from the earth. But one day, praise the Lord, on the road to Damascus, his life was radically changed when he met the Lord on that road to Damascus. And uh, Saul, who God changed his name to Paul, uh, went on to become the beloved apostle who wrote 13 New Testament epistles and started at least 14 churches in his lifetime. Amazing. The radical change that God can make in somebody's life. When Paul wrote to the uh, church at Corinth and he said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. I'm sure as he wrote that, he thought of his own testimony and the fact that God made a radical change in his life. So we see here Paul. And uh, Paul was definitely the human author of this book. But then he also mentions his sidekick, his partner in ministry. His fellow laborer, and that was Timothy, Timotheus. Now, Timothy, for some who don't know, his mom was Jewish, but his dad was Greek. So he was half Jew, half Greek. But praise the Lord, he was 100% Christian. Now, today, I'm, I'm one-eighth Polish. I'm one-eighth uh, Irish. I'm one-eighth something else. And then I'm five-eighths German. But I'm 100% Christian. And uh, I don't know what your... Uh, pedigree is, but I hope that you're 100% Christian as well, like Timothy was. Now, Timothy's faith, if you recall, was a testimony to the influence of both a parent and a grandparent. So mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, never underestimate your influence in the lives of your children and grandchildren. If you remember, it was Lois and Eunice 
Timothy's grandma and mom who had great influence in the life of Timothy, who passed down their faith to Timothy and he adopted it for his own. Uh, It was because of their faith and their uh, true, genuine example that caused him to decide to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as well in his own life. And so I want to encourage all of us who are in a position of some type of influence to make sure that our faith is not just fake faith. Uh, We see enough fake news in this uh, world today. Uh, God wants us to live a true, genuine, real faith before those under our influence. Okay, so that's who... Timothy was, but why was he mentioned here in verse number one? Well, if you remember last last Sunday when we looked at the beginning of the church in, in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul wasn't by himself on that missionary journey. No, Timothy was there with him. Um, so the church would be definitely familiar with Timothy because Timothy was part of that missionary team as they went out and started that church in Philippi. Paul's goal was eventually to send Timothy to the church at uh, Philippi. And uh, he mentions that in Philippians chapter 2 and in uh, verses 19 um, uh, through 22. Paul's goal was to send Timothy to them, to be a blessing to them, yes, but also to check on the condition, uh, on their spiritual condition and find out how the church was going. Because... Paul cared about this church, and he really wanted to find out how how things were going there in Philippi. So he wanted to send uh, his partner in ministry, Timothy, to them. And uh, now, of course, these were the days before FaceTime and Skype. You couldn't just, you know, uh, Brother Ed gets to preach to his church in not Philippi, but but in the Philippines uh, through Skype and through video chatting and uh, through Facebook Live, I guess, and some of that, that's been a real blessing. Well, this is before those days. And so uh, Paul was concerned about this church, and he just wanted to find out how things were going. So he was going to send Timothy. So he starts the book off by saying, I'm going to send uh, Paul and Timotheus are going to come. Now, Timothy was a trusted co-laborer in the ministry with Paul. He had proven himself, and yes, he was young, but he was trustworthy. In fact, in, uh, in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, we learn a few things about Timothy. He was like-minded in philosophy with Paul. He says in verse number 20, he says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He said, Timothy is like-minded in, in the philosophy of ministry and in the doctrines that we hold to. And so I can trust him in what he believes. And then he, he cared for others like Paul would have cared. Verse number 20 says, who will naturally care for your state. Um, And then he also didn't seek his own agenda. He didn't have his own plan. In uh, in verse 21 it says, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Insinuating that Timothy wasn't after building his own kingdom and making a name for himself. He was just after doing the work of the ministry and serving the Lord. So that's who they were. Those, that's what their names were. But notice, secondly, their notoriety. What do they want to be known as? Back in Philippians 1.1, it says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. You know, that's not there by accident. Uh, they chose 
that particular title on purpose. Servants of Jesus Christ. What a title. You know, the word servants here means bond slaves. Means that I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. That doesn't sound very glamorous. Well, it's also very important, though. You know, of all the titles Paul could have used, he could have used some special titles. And he, he, he used different titles to different churches depending on the nature of the book, that he, the letter that he was writing them. He used, in some occasions, the title of apostle, where he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was used in the books of Ephesians, Galatians, in both Corinthians and Colossians. Because what he was doing in each of those was he was bringing great doctrinal truth. And he needed to give a little bit of validity and credibility to who he was. And he could have talked about his pedigree. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, if you would just briefly turn over there real quickly. In uh, verse number 4. Here's what Paul could have brought to the church. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And he said, consider this resume. Verse number five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the, righteousness of the, uh, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But then he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He could have chosen to use any one of those titles, but he chose to use the lowest, most humble title of all, which is in reality the greatest title he could have used according to Jesus. Remember the words of our dear Savior when he said, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister And to give his life a ransom for many. Later in the book of Philippians, again, in uh, chapter 2, we're going to come across this passage. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. The form of a servant. Do you remember what Jesus chose to do on the night before his crucifixion? There in that upper room with his disciples. All right, gentlemen, here is your last chance to wash my feet. Is that what he said? No. He took himself the basin. And then he began to go one by one and began to wash the disciples' feet. That was the job of the servant. He chose to serve by washing the disciples' feet there in that upper room. So in truth, Paul and Timothy were simply following the model of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the servants of Jesus Christ. If you're after some type of title other than the servants of Jesus Christ, you're after the wrong title. Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large church in Melbourne, Australia. The moderator of the service introduced the missionary in eloquence and in glowing terms. He told the large congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China and then presented him as our illustrious guest. Well, Taylor stood quietly for a moment, then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. You see, he realized who he was. He was indeed just a servant. Paul and Timothy could have said, look, we're somebody in the Christian faith. But instead they chose to say, I am a servant. So I want to encourage us this morning to strive not for a title, not for a position, not for prestige, but to be a servant. To be willing to do the things that no one else wants to do. So we see here, first of all, the the servants of God, but then secondly, we notice the saints of God. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, the saints of God. When most people hear the word saint, they think of someone who is almost perfect, don't they? Or they think of a football team in New Orleans. But most of the time when it comes to this context, the saints are the ones who have halos over their heads, who really do no wrong. In the Roman Catholic system, saint is so revered. It's a a person who are officially canonized after death because they have met certain demanding requirements. But I'm here to say as a Bible preacher and a Bible teacher, The scripture makes it clear that all the redeemed, whether under the old or new covenant, are saints set apart from sin unto God. So we really could say this morning, Saint Randy, thank you for leading us in the music this morning. Saint David, thanks for running the sound in the computers this morning. We could say that. St. Andy, thanks for the prayer this morning and leading us in worship. We could say that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 2, Paul addresses the church at Corinth. And he says this, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You see, really there are two classes of humanity. The saints and the sinners. Or as J. Vernon McGee says, the saints and the ain'ts. He says, if you ain't a saint, then you're an ain't. And so I ask you this morning, are you a saint or are you an ain't? I hope that you're a saint. Because if you ain't a saint, then you're an ain't. Now they weren't called saints because they were righteous, but... Really, they were called saints because the righteousness of God was imputed to them. Now, notice a couple things about the saints of God here. First of all, letter A, I want us to notice that they were in Christ. They were in Christ. Verse 1 says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. 
You see, at the moment of our salvation, I was placed in Christ and he was placed in me. Uh, Mind-boggling, definitely, but accurate and precious to know that I am in him and he is in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I mentioned it a few moments ago. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature and old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So these saints of God, they were in Christ, but also I want you to see that they were at Philippi. They were at Philippi. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. You see, it was a local assembly with a real address. Unfortunately, in our day and age, there's a growing segment of Christianity that believes it's okay to be a Christian without being part of a local church. However, as you look back to Scripture in the early churches, each church uh, was indeed a local church. And God's plan is for Christians to be a part of a local church. It is important in our day and age to find a good church and to be part of that and to be faithful in that local assembly. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Now, there is the manner of some here in our culture today that don't think it's okay, or think it's okay to not be part of a local church. But he says, I want you to assemble together with uh, other believers, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Being part of the body is important. Uh, there's a friend of mine, and, and uh, he's sincere, and a, and a good brother loves the Lord. I believe he's mistaken on this, this particular topic. He says, you know, I, I don't really have a one church that I go to. I go to lots of different churches. And I just, I just want to be part of the church. And uh, I, did, I don't think, you know, we should really have all these separate churches. I think we should just be one church. Unfortunately, he's, he's mistaken biblically on, on that type of thinking. You see, uh, the Bible describes the church as a body of believers. Now, let's suppose this morning that my thumb decided that it wanted to be part of all the bodies. And so it decides, you know what, today I'm going to be part of my body. Tomorrow I'm going to go be part of your body. That would be very awkward, wouldn't it? And it's also awkward when one Christian goes to another church and says, well, I'm just going to find out what's going on here. And I, I get the idea of, you know, when you're looking for a church, going and visiting several. I understand that. But once you find one that God wants you in, stay in that church. Don't keep hopping around. Um, we need to be part of the body. And uh, this, this group of believers here, these saints... They were in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. They were in one assembly. And uh, it's important to be part of a local uh, New Testament church. And I'm thankful that you're here this morning, part of a local New Testament church. So we see here the servants of God. We see the saints of God. And then I want us to see, second, thirdly here, the structure of God. Paul and Timotheus, verse 1, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. 
with the bishops and deacons. Uh, This gives insight into the structure that is supposed to be in a New Testament church. See, there's two offices within a local church, two offices of a local church. First, we see here the word bishop or pastor or elder. Um, what, and, and you see these terms mentioned in Scripture, pastor, bishop, and elder, all three of those terms. And a lot of churches do think that they're separate offices, but really, as you study it out, it really is one office with three different uh, descriptions of how that office is to be played out. Uh, this type of uh, a position or a responsibility, really, I look at it more as a responsibility than a position. And it's a heavy one, by the way. Um, but here's, here's what these different words really mean and, and, and point to what the pastor should be involved in. So the word pastor really points to the fact that he is the under-shepherd of the flock means that he is to feed the flock of God, to protect the flock of God, and to warn the flock of God. The word elder refers to his maturity in the faith. It may not necessarily mean he's a super old man, um, but it could mean that he's, he, he's a young man but mature in his faith. So it refers to his maturity and that he is to lead as an example. And the word bishop refers to his authority and that he is to provide oversight for the church. And so we see here the office of the pastor, bishop, elder, however you want to call it. I prefer the word pastor. Then we see the second office here, and that is deacon. Now, deacon in some churches means ruler of the church. But really, as you look into the Bible, the word deacon means servant, as we've already talked about. A deacon is there meant to serve, and and we'll get to that in just a moment. And uh, I'm kind of giving a real brief, real brief synopsis of of all of this uh, based on time. But I just wanted to hit on it because Paul talks about it here in verse number one. So here are the two offices of the local church, but... I want to see the overview of their qualifications and responsibilities. Again, I don't have time to go into all of these, but for pastor, there are some spiritual qualifications, some social qualifications. He needs to have a good reputation with those who are not even within the church. Moral qualifications. um, Some specific things that he needs to line up with. And uh, some of the responsibilities that a pastor has, he is to provide oversight in the church. He's to feed the flock of God and to give them the word of God and to teach the whole counsel of God. To preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. To tell people what they want to hear and to tell people what they don't want to hear but need to hear. That's the responsibilities of the pastor and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to not just do the work himself, but to share the load and to prepare and build up others who can then do the work themselves and to fulfill their potential for the Lord. And then to lead the church to fulfill the great commission. 
heavy responsibility. So I would just say this. Make sure you're in a church that has a pastor who understands the high and holy calling to lead the flock that God has given him. Deacons, what are some of their require, or qualifications? Well, Acts chapter 6 uh, shares what those are. And uh, I've given you some passages there in your, uh, in your notes to look up and to uh, research and, and do some study on your own. But in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 3, here says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So those are the qualifications of a deacon. And uh, also some in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a bunch listed there as well. We won't take the time to go through all of those. But basically, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom. And their responsibilities at first was to serve and to take care of the needs of those within the assembly so that the pastors could then take the time they needed to study the Word of God and to pray. So, again, I wish I had time to go through all these in great detail, and we will at some point down the road, but um, I hope that you'll take some time to uh, dive in and do some study and, and look at these different qualifications and responsibilities of these offices within the church. But know this, God has order in His church and he has appointed men in these places of responsibility. And, and particularly with pastors, the Bible mandate is to pray for and to follow their leadership. And uh, I would encourage you to do so. Number four, though, I want to share with you in verse number two here, the last uh, thought. And that is the serenity of God. The serenity of God. Verse number two, grace be unto you. And peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So as he gives us this greeting, it seems kind of a trite statement. Let's get into the real meat here, Paul. But I'm telling you, there's some meat in this verse here. Because notice, first of all here, the sequence of things. He says, grace be unto you and peace. Grace and peace. Now notice it's grace, then peace. And by the way, I'll say this, it's that same order in every one of Paul's 13 greetings at the beginning of each of his books. Every time Paul writes an epistle, he says grace, and then he says peace. That's significant. Because without grace, we won't have peace. We must know the grace of God before we can know the peace of God. We must have Come to Jesus Christ through the grace of God before we can ever know the peace of God. So we see the sequence, but notice here the source of this grace and this peace. This grace and peace doesn't come from Paul or from Timothy or from anyone else. It came from God. He is the source of all grace and all peace. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's a bumper sticker that says this. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Let me explain. If you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, Jesus, then you're going to K-N-O-W, no peace. But if there's no Jesus in your life, 
then there's going to be no peace in your life. So no Jesus, no peace. He's the source of all grace and all peace. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Remember what Isaiah said? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It's his name. He is the Prince of Peace. There are two types of peace this morning. First of all, there's peace with God. Have you made peace with God? You can only make peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he willingly shed upon the cross. Romans chapter number 5 and verse, one, verse number 1 tells, talks about this type of peace. Paul here again, the human author of this epistle, says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's only one way to have peace with God, and it's not by joining a church. It's not by taking communion. It's not by getting baptized. It's not by doing any good works. It's not by giving money to a church. No, none of those things can give you peace with God. The only way you can have peace with God is if your sins are forgiven. And the only way that's going to happen is if you believe on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. So... Do you have peace with God? If not, I would encourage you today, on the last day of June in 2019, to come and believe on Jesus Christ. And to do what the children quoted a little bit ago and said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I hope that you'll do that today. For those of us who are Christians, there's another type of peace. And that is the peace of God. The peace of God that passes all understanding. And this peace can only be experienced by a believer. And when they give their whole situation to the Lord in prayer. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse 7. We're going to get there in a little bit in the series. But let's look at it real quick and get a little snippet and and a little taste of what's to come. Philippians 4 and verse number 7. Let's pick it up in verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord all the way. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That promise is to those who follow the, uh, the condition in verse number 6, to stop worrying about everything that's going on in your life. Some of us have, we may not be able to see them, but there are worry warts all over our faces and all of our bodies. We may not be able to see them, but they're there. Because we stay up late and we... Get up early because we're so worried about what's going to happen in this situation. And Paul says, be careful for nothing. Stop worrying. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And once you do, once you stop worrying, once you stop fretting, then verse 7, the peace of God, which patheth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So this little greeting here at the beginning of the book may seem kind of trite and may seem like let's just keep reading to get to the real meat. Well, let's pause and take a moment and look at it. The sequence is important and so is the source. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So already in these first two verses, we see a lot of biblical truth, don't we? As we consider the servants of God in verse number one, the encouragement for all of us in that is what are we striving for? Are we striving to be someone who makes a name for ourselves? Or are we striving like Paul and Timotheus were to just simply be content by being servants of Jesus Christ? According to the kingdom of God, there's no greater title to pursue than servant of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the saints of God, are you a saint or are you an ain't? Because it's really one of the two, friend. Are you in Christ and have you believed on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? And are you at a local assembly? Are you part of a church family? If not, I would recommend Cornerstone Baptist Church on 424 East Main Street in Moore, Oklahoma. It's a great church family that loves one another, loves the Lord. I would encourage you to be part of a church family. When it comes to the structure of God, are you in a church that uses biblical order and structure? And are you praying for and following the leadership in the church? I hope so. And regarding the serenity of God, do you have peace with God? If not, then you need the grace of God by believing on Jesus Christ. And let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for the book of Philippians. Thank you for really even how it starts. Lord, we can learn so much from these two verses. Lord, what a great title to strive for, the servant of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us all to endeavor to be good servants, faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, when it comes to the saints of God, Lord, help us to know for sure that we are indeed in Christ. And Lord, thank you for the promise that when we're in Christ, Christ is in us, the hope of glory. What a wonderful truth and precious promise that is. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that does not know for sure that they are a saint of God, Lord, I pray that they would make the greatest decision of their life. May they come to Jesus and be born again and come to Him and and place their faith in Him alone. Lord, when it comes to the structure of God, Lord, thank You for the fact that there is order within a church that You've set up. Help us to follow it. Help us to... Uh, Lord, uh, appreciate it. And Lord, uh, help me as, as one who does fill one of these offices, Lord, to endeavor to uh, strive to continue to meet the requirements and to fulfill the responsibilities. I pray you grant me great strength and wisdom in that. And then, Lord, when it comes to the serenity of God, Lord, thank you for the peace that we can have with you through the blood of Christ and Or thank you, the the peace of God that we can have when we go through challenging difficulties. 
But Lord, help us to go to you and, and stop worrying and stop trying to fix it on our own and, and to give it to you completely. Lord, thank you for how you've worked in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to make the decisions necessary that you've been working in our hearts about. Pray these things in Jesus' name.